Good to see you tonight. Praise the Lord for the people of God and a desire to get together and spend time in the Word of God. And okay, you've got your choice there. <laughs> that, that's what I meant. You've got, you've got your choice of seating. All right, we are in Ephesians chapter 1 tonight, and I kind of want to finish Paul's thought, his one-sentence thought here that we started last week, which happens to be from chapter 1, verse 3, through verse 14. So it's what we call a run-on sentence, which happens to be an inspired sentence, right? So you really can't complain about run-on sentences, can you? Certainly not in this case. (laughs) All right, let's pray and then we'll get into our study. Father, we thank you for your word now. Pray that you would minister to our hearts as we study the word of God together. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All righty, just a little bit of uh, introduction here. The theme of Ephesians is the church, the universal church in particular. And uh, after the introductory comments in verses 1 and 2, which include Paul saying that he's an apostle by the will of God and and addressing the saints at Ephesus. Uh, We think it was a circular letter, but he addresses Ephesus perhaps because it was the the prominent city, the prominent uh, place uh, in terms of the the circuit there. But uh, then as we get beyond those introductory two verses, uh, we find that uh, there's an emphasis on God's grand plan of salvation. Verses 3 through 14. One long run-on sentence really developing the grand plan of God's salvation. And it's interesting to follow it in terms of the the theme here because you really kind of have it broken down like this. In verses 3 through 6, there's an emphasis on the Father and His selective plan, the place of election. And then there's an emphasis on the Son in verses 7 through 12 and His work of redemption in that plan of salvation. And then as we get to verses 13 and 14 tonight, there's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and His sealing security work in relationship to the believer. So it's, it's kind of neat how it flows in terms of the, the triune God and His, you know, their, their parts, uh, you know, they're all together, of course. We've got one God, but yet He's a triune God. And they have different roles in relationship to the plan of salvation. Um, you know, it's not uh, the Father who said to seal us, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, who redeemed us on the cross? Well, it wasn't uh, the Father, it was the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so forth. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, as we looked at last time, this emphasis on uh, the Father's uh, selecting us before the foundation of the world. Uh, you know, there, there is mystery in there. But uh, I want you to note these, these words. Uh, verse 4, chose. Verse 5, predestined. And verse 6, grace. Put those three words together. Chose, predestined, and grace. They go together. And, uh, and yet there is mystery there. I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes on this whole topic from Robert Thomas, uh, he has now gone to be with the Lord, but a highly respected Robert Thomas is a scholar. I mean, he's par excellence as far as a Greek scholar, Hebrew too. But uh, anyways, at Master Seminary for years. But he writes this, The scripture furnishes numerous instances where God's sovereignty and man's free will interplay with each other. Both are biblical teaching. Uh, for man to try and alter either one to find a reconciliation is an attempt to eat of the forbidden 
the forbidden tree, an attempt of man to escape his finitude so as to become like an infinite God. The best we as humans can do is accept the Bible's teaching about both the absolute sovereignty of God and the freedom of men to make their own moral decisions, whether to believe in Christ or not, without changing either teaching. From the standpoint of human logic and philosophical reasoning, the two teachings are in conflict, but from a biblical standpoint, they are not. Well, that summarizes where I'm coming from. And, uh, you know, God is sovereign. I'm not going to take a thing away from that. And actually, where I'm going to be, where I really want to be before God is, God, whatever you have to say, I agree with it. <laughs> Even though I don't fully comprehend it, uh, and, and there's things here that are past finding out, and his ways are past finding out, as Paul says at the end of this long discussion, as far as the, the, the plan of God and, and how that intersects with Israel and the Gentiles in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he gets to the end of that whole discussion and says his ways are past finding out. Uh, we, we can't fully comprehend it. His thoughts are as high as uh, the heavens are above uh, the earth as far as how high they are th- than our thoughts and his ways and our ways. So we can't possibly uh, comprehend it. But it is awesome. And it's like I said last week, you know, I've been to the Grand Canyon. I saw the Grand Canyon, right? I saw a glimpse of the Grand Canyon. I saw just about this much of the Grand Canyon. But it's so much more grand than I could ever Really, in a whole lifetime, you, you would never see all the ins and outs of the whole entire Grand Canyon. It's so vast. That's the way our salvation is. It, it, it is so awesome. And yet God does want us to understand it, as we will see even as we go on in our text tonight. I want us to note one other thing that we touched on last week. And here in verse 3, when he says uh, that, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The whole context here, as I say, is talking about his grand plan of salvation. And he's talking about the blessings that we all have as believers in salvation. I think it's a mistake to try to sort out little particular details in there. Really, the flow of thought here relates to God's grand plan of salvation and what we have as believers in Jesus Christ in that plan. And and these uh, blessings belong to all of us, all of us who uh, have salvation. Well, let's pick it up, and uh, we have noted verses uh, uh, 3 through 6. Let's read now verse 7. We're going to just take it a verse at a time because they're all, they all got plenty of treasures for us to dig through here. But let's uh, take it a verse at a time. Somebody want to read verse 7 to get us started here tonight? Yeah, Vince? Uh, verse, seven. verse 7. In him we have the redemption, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Thank you. Uh, in him, uh, we have this uh, stated eight times in this sentence. In him, 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 in him. Eight times. And uh, in him denotes union, union with Christ. And you know, it's, it's interesting. We're either in or out. There's no in-between. You say, well, he's an in-betweener. <laughs> no, he's not. He's either in or out. Uh, there's no other choice as far as Christ, our relationship with Christ. You're either outside of Christ or you're in Christ, one or the other. There is no other option. And uh, in him, in Christ, in, in union with Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Um, note uh, how we have redemption. It's through his blood. It, it's, not through, uh, it's not through some leader. It's in him. It's not through sacraments. It's in him. It's not through works or whatever we try to do within ourselves. No, it's in him. In him we have redemption. 
Redemption's a wonderful word. To redeem means to buy back by paying a price. Uh, delivering by paying a price. Uh, it was often used in reference to slaves. Uh, if a slave was uh, in the marketplace, some uh, slave was on, you know, being sold, somebody could buy that slave and allow them to go free. But they had to pay the purchase price. That's called a redemption price, to redeem them. That's the idea of redeeming, to, to uh, buy back, to pay the price, to uh, set them free. Uh, that's the idea, to deliver by paying a price, redemption. How do we have redemption? Uh, well, somebody bought us. His name is Jesus. In him, we have redemption. Uh, by the way, um, we belong to him. If, if, you're, if you're in him, you belong to him. He bought you. He bought you. You're, you're his. You know, when I buy something at the store, I take it. It's, it's mine now, right? I bought it. Uh, and so stop me at the door and say, well, hey, where do you think you're going with that? Well, I just bought it. It's mine now, right? Exactly. Christ bought us. In him we have redemption through his blood. Here's the price. Here's, here's what it costs. Here's the payment price. His blood. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Ah, there you go. This is where it, it all comes uh, together here. Uh, his redemption by the price of blood, his blood, has resulted in the forgiveness of sins. Redemption made possible the forgiveness of sins. Uh, this word forgiveness is a, a wonderful word. It, it means to release, to send away, uh, to let it go, to let go that which is, which is holding back or, or binding. And so the forgiveness of sins, God, God has released us from that. We, we've been set free from the penalty of sin, uh, the power of sin, and ultimately the presence of sin, as we will see even tonight. These two words, redemption and forgiveness, go together. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like as God talks about our salvation, uh, sometimes he uses more than one picture to illustrate uh, the truth. Uh, and especially when we think about our salvation and the wonderful truth of redemption and forgiveness. And uh, perhaps one of the most beautiful pictures we have in the scriptures is on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, there were, uh, there were two goats in, in involved. Uh, one was uh, the goat that was killed, blood sacrifice, and the, the, sh- the blood of the goat was then sprinkled on the altar. Uh, what does that picture? Redemption, right? What was the other co- goat called? Scapegoat. Scapegoat. And what they did with that goat is, uh, you know, the sins of the, of the nation figuratively were placed on the head of that goat. And that goat was led then out into the wilderness, deep, deep into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Picture as if the sins of the people were to be taken far away where they would never be seen again. So you see on the, in the Day of Atonement, you have two beautiful pictures. You have a picture of redemption with the goat's blood that was shed. And you have a picture of forgiveness in the scapegoat that was led deep into the wilderness. What a beautiful reality that these pictures all come together in Jesus Christ, who is the basis of our redemption, our forgiveness. Like I say, they go together. We have forgiveness because of his redemption and uh, beautifully pictured in the the Day of Atonement and what happened there. So, uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, the, The phraseology here is wonderful. According to the riches of his grace. It doesn't say according to the sparseness. No, it's according to the riches. Uh, it's it's uh, the wealth of God's grace, the extravagance of God's grace. Uh, and really the emphasis is that there, grace is greater than all our sin. 
sometimes people say, well, I just don't know if God could forgive me. You have people say that to you? I don't know if God could forgive me. Well, that's a very low view of the grace of God. Um, how great is the grace of God? It's greater than all of our sin. I mean, when Christ died on the cross, he died for the sin of the whole world. I mean, it was an adequate payment for the sin of the entire world. That's how great the grace of God is. It's extravagant. Uh, we have this forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. Um, grace, really properly understood, causes you to worship. And, of course, that's where Paul will go here as we continue on. Okay, any other thoughts there as we come to the end of verse 7? Yeah, Vince? No, Vin- no. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to perhaps see the, the, uh, the, word, the, the play of words that Paul does in this verse. Because first, thing, so first he talks about redemption, yeah. which means to, to buy back. Like right. Indicator, right. Right. And our sin is so big that it takes a, a big redemption payment. Therefore, the riches of His grace. Well, that's great. Amen. Amen. You know, our, our sins was not a minor issue. Right. It was a big issue before God. That's for sure. And, and He took that type of grace, you know, to pay for it. Took some riches. The riches of his grace. Yeah, it wasn't just like, well, that's a little payment. Yeah. No, it was a great, great payment. Yeah, amen. Well, that's true. Yeah. And if I may follow up, yep. it's kind of interesting. Also, me, in verse 6, he talks about the glory of his grace. Now he talks about the riches of his grace. Yeah, that's right. Amen. So, this grace is something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> amen, brother. Good thoughts there. Okay, who wants to read verse 8 for us? It's a short verse. It won't take you more than 15 minutes. Yes, John? Okay, thank you. So he's talking about uh, the, the riches of his grace, you know, that has made this possible. And then he now says in verse 8, which he made to abound toward us. He lavished it upon us. Uh, and this is uh, what he has provided for us. But then the, the thought continues in all wisdom and prudence. In other words, God has given us great insight into this glorious redemption, into this glorious forgiveness that his grace has provided. And so uh, that's interesting that he goes towards this issue of enlightenment, that God has enlightened us. And uh, he has made, his grace not only brought about salvation, But the flow of the thought continues. It's also brought about our enlightenment to where we now can see this great plan and we can appreciate what God has done. Not completely, as we've already said, but uh, we certainly can get uh, enough uh, insight to where we understand and where we can appreciate what God has done for us, which really causes us to worship. Uh, Wisdom here is a spiritual insight. Uh, Prudence is... uh, insider understanding with the idea of discernment or application. And uh, so God's grace uh, has abounded towards us uh, to that end. All right. Any other thoughts? Nope. All right. Let's continue. Verse 9. Who wants to read that? Yes, Nancy? Okay, so um, we have this wisdom and this prudence, this discernment, but it's been made known to us, having made known to us the mystery of his will. 
What we know is because God has made it known to us. We we never figure out any of this on our own. Uh, He's made known to us the mystery of his will. Mystery refers to a divine secret that we would never know apart from God's revealing it. And it doesn't mean it's a mystery now. It means it was previously unknown, uh, you know, what God was going to do through Jesus Christ. But now it's been revealed. It's what we know by revelation. And in context, he's talking about the glorious plan of salvation, uh, God's master plan. And uh, we now have had this made known to us, the mystery of his will, uh, again, referring to his plan of salvation. Uh, which is really developed here as we continue on in verses 9 through 14, and then actually from there on in chapters 2 and 3. And notice uh, now he's kind of building on this idea of uh, his will, having made known to us his will, the mystery of his will. And this uh, great plan of salvation, his will, is according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. This is uh, God's good plan. You know how I know it's a good plan? Because he likes it. He likes it. Uh, According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. He wanted to do it. He's the master designer. And you know, God does what he wants to do. And and so this is an emphasis here. According to his good pleasure. And you say, well, he, he wasn't quite sure whether he really wanted to save. No, no, he wanted to. This is his grand good plan, according to his good pleasure. And notice which he purposed in himself. It wasn't a joint effort. Um, God came up with this all on his own. It's his, his singular plan. It's his idea. It's what he has determined. Now, he has clued us in on it, but it's God's plan alone. Nobody else came up with this uh, with him. All right. Any other thoughts? All right. Verse 10. Who wants to read that for us? Verse 10. Yes, Randy. Okay, I want you to note the, the end of the sentence first. In him. The things he's talking about ultimately relate to in him. And uh, then let's back up to the beginning of the verse, in verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. So that word dispensation is found nine times in the New Testament. And it refers to uh, household management or administration. And uh, the idea here is that there's been a series of administrations or dispensations or times down through uh, redemptive history. And, you know, Revelation, we say, is progressive, and and there have been different times. We're not under the law now. They were under the law in the Old Testament. We're in the church age now. They weren't in the Old Testament. So there's a a successive series of times or administrations uh, in the plan of God. But it's building towards a completion a fullness. And where's God going with this? That's the issue. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So everything is ultimately going to find its unity and its order in Christ. It's going somewhere where there's going to be harmony and there's going to be the unity that God intended as it is all restored in Christ. And then he says, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. It's all going to be, it's kind of disjointed a little bit now, right? I mean, even the church. Where is the church tonight? 
I know you're here, but you're not the whole church. Where's the rest of the church? Some of them are over in Omaha. Where else? Well, be a little more clear on that. Some are in heaven, right? Some of the church is in heaven. You're not so sure of that, are you? <laughs> it's true. Some of us are in heaven. The de- those who have died have gone to be with the Lord. Uh, they're part of the church. It's a little disjointed. We're not even all together, right? But one day, we're all going to be together. You say, well, man, I can't even, some of the church, we can't even have contact with you. Yeah, that's right. There's a separation right now. But one day, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are on earth. It's all going to come together, everything. And uh, I think this is the goal of redemptive history. And really, it's what we've been praying for, that God's will be will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Everything's going to be in perfect harmony and in tune with Jesus Christ. I often use this illustration of the, of the orchestra, right? Have you been to the orchestra? And when they're, they're tuning up and they're getting ready for the, for the concert, it's mayhem. Yeah. I mean, the violinist is playing over here, the drummer's over here, and all the other instruments. And it just, are you kidding? This is atrocious. Uh, why did we come to this? And then the conductor comes out, right? And everything is in perfect alignment, just like that. One of these days, that's what Jesus Christ is going to do. He's the grand master conductor of the great plan of salvation. He's going to bring it all together in perfect harmony, perfect unity. And it's going to be a thing of beauty. That's what's in view here. But notice uh, it relates to in him. The emphasis is in relationship to in him. Uh, eight times again, we have this uh, emphasized. Uh, this is not referring to those outside of Christ. <laughs> you know, uh, they're not going to be in tune in that sense. They're not going to know this beautiful harmony and the glory that we will experience as those in Christ. Uh, this really relates to uh, in Him. Some, try, some people have tried to make this speak of universal salvation. That's not the context. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, he's talking about the blessings that we have, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, our salvation blessings that we have in Christ. That's what he's talking about. And uh, this is going to all be brought together. And it's going to be a glorious day. You know, I was talking about, you know, there's so many struggles uh, in my family, in your family, in every family. I don't know a family that doesn't have struggles. Now, if you happen to be that family, don't raise your hand. You're going to discourage the rest of us. But uh, we all have struggles. We do. It's, it's, it's a battle to the pearly gates. But once Christ has brought everything in perfect harmony, it's going to be a different story. The grand plan of God's salvation is headed towards that day when the conductor will step forward and everything will be brought into perfect harmony and in perfect tune. Uh, that's where we're headed. That's what verse 10 is really saying. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay. Very good. Uh, let's read verse 11. Who wants to read verse 11? Anita, did you have your hand up? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, we have another in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. 
Now, that's debated here amongst the scholars. And, and uh, you know, you have situations where you could really have an interpretation that could go either way, equally, uh, grammatically. And this is one of those cases. Should it read, as I have in my New King James here, in him we have obtained an inheritance? Or the other possibility is in him we were made a heritage. You see, the difference is, uh, does this... Uh, relate to uh, we are made Christ special, um, his special possession, or does it refer to the special inheritance that we will have in eternity? I don't know that it makes a huge difference uh, in the big scheme of things, because you get down to verse 14, you kind of have a combination of both of those ideas brought uh, together there, uh, when it speaks of the Spirit being the guarantee of our inheritance and it's true, we are Christ's special possession as, as his church, as his body, as his people. So, uh, you know, I think you could, you know, argue over the nuance here. But theologically, both happen to be true. So there's, there's no real concern here. Uh, in him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Wow. Being predestined. This is a, a different word for predestined here. It's uh, not used anywhere else in the New Testament. But uh, it, it refers to a point, uh, to a point beforehand. Uh, it's the idea of being chosen or appointed or destined. Uh, being predestined according to the purpose of him. Uh, again, God's determination. And uh, again, it relates to that, that the final end of things, where we're going and where God's taking us, his grand plan of salvation. God has determined uh, where the train's going, uh, where it's going to end up. And uh, notice again, the emphasis according to the purpose of him. Uh, it's, it's his purpose who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, you know, it's what he wants to do, uh, plain and simple. Uh, and this word counsel refers to an, an intelligent deliberation. Uh, God gave thought to this, <laughs> where, it, where, it wanted, where he wanted this to go. And, but it's according to his own volition, according to the counsel of, of his will. It was his choice. Uh, again, let me read this. Uh, I like Homer Kent. I tend to think like Homer Kent Jr. Uh, when it comes to this uh, discussion a little bit. He says, Paul is saying that predestination is carried out in perfect harmony with the reasons God had regarding his will for men. What these reasons were is not revealed to us. Ah, that's an important, that's an important point. Uh, it didn't really spell out the reasons, although there was an intelligent deliberation here, according to the, the council, his his divine deliberations within himself. Um, I say, uh, I've got a note here. The balance of scripture teaches us that God is completely sovereign over redemptive history in every way. However, a study of the whole counsel of God reveals that under his sovereignty, he promotes some things. And he does, right? Uh, God alone initiates salvation. There's none that seeks after God. We've seen the emphasis here on it's God's idea. Uh, he prevents some things. Uh, you know, sin is allowed by God. And, uh, you know, you think about the origination of sin, uh, the origin of sin. It, it's kind of amazing. Uh, where did sin come from? I mean, Satan was created perfect, as it says in Ezekiel. And uh, so, you know, did, where did it come from? 
I mean, God didn't create him with a sin nature, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you get back to this whole idea of there was, there was a freedom of will in there. And, and yet the Bible talks about the elect angels, uh, the holy angels, and uh, the other angels, the unholy angels. Well, how does all that fit? Well, it's beyond me. But, and then he permits some things. So he promotes some things, he uh, prevents some things, and he permits some things. But all these things are under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. And uh, what I want to emphasize is, as we find ourselves wrestling with this whole tension of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, there's complete harmony in the mind of God. Someone has said it's like uh, railroad tracks. You know, you're looking down the tracks here, you're standing right there, and this track's over here, and this track's over here. But as you look into the distant uh, future there, it all comes together. And same way in back here. But right where we're standing right here, those tracks never come together. That's where we're at in our, uh, in, uh, our uh, finite minds. We can never completely figure it out. And then I always want to factor in this. Um, somehow God made us in his image, which I think involves this whole issue of choice. Um, you know, we're not just puppets. I think this is where final judgment even comes in. People are held accountable for the choices they make. And yet the other side of the coin is none seeks after God on their own. Nobody ever comes to an independent choice for God, right? Always involves God's activity. And yet somehow in the mix, there is human responsibility. I'm just showing you. We go round and round and round here. But uh, at the end of the day, God is sovereign and people are responsible. Okay, um, but notice the emphasis here. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right, any other thoughts there? Anything else? All right, verse 12. Who wants to read that short little verse? Yes, Dwinette. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Okay, uh, that we who first trusted in Christ uh, should be to the praise of his glory. We believe here he's uh, unpacking here the progressiveness of God's redemptive plan. And when you think about uh, who was the first who trusted in Christ? The Jews. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to the Jew first, right? And then to the Gentiles. In fact, the early church was all Jewish to start with, right? How long was the early church all Jewish before Gentiles kind of started coming along into the church? First five years of the church age, it was Jewish. You didn't have Gentiles on the scene those first five years of the church age. It was Jewish. A Jewish church to start with. The gospel goes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Yeah, God's plan was always to bring the Gentiles on board here. But it starts with the Jews. And that's what I think he's talking about here. And the commentators are agreed here when it says that we who first trusted in Christ. Uh, Paul is talking as a Jew largely to Gentile churches here as the apostle to the Gentiles. But uh, that we who first trusted in Christ uh, should be to the praise of his glory. All the glory to God for his, his amazing grace, which has resulted in uh, the Jews' salvation. And uh, again, he ends this stanza here uh, with a doxology to the praise of his glory. Uh, each stanza, the one after the emphasis on the Father's uh, uh, selection, uh, election, uh, you have that doxology. And here we have uh, the second stanza with the emphasis on the Son's redemption, concluding with to the praise of his glory. 
All right. Uh, any other thoughts? Okay. Verse 13. We now come to that section on the Spirit. Who wants to read verse 13? Marianne? Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, in him, again, we have that in him, and again, uh, he's unfolding uh, the idea of God's progressive uh, plan of salvation, first to the Jew, uh, uh, verse 12, who first trusted, but now he goes on to speak uh, in him, my translation here is a little different than yours, in him you also trusted, I think yours says a little later, also having believed, Right? Yeah, right. So the idea is uh, the Gentiles did come along and they also believed. Uh, and how did that happen? After you heard the word of truth, you know, you got to hear the word. And the Gentiles heard the word. Uh, salvation comes by what? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know where that's found at, Albert? Uh, yeah, Romans, Romans 10, 17. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, after you heard the word of truth, and that's a neat description of the gospel, the word of truth. Uh, there's, only, there's only really one word of truth in relationship to salvation, the salvation message, which is the gospel. The gospel is the word of truth. There's lots of messages out here in the old world. All, everybody's got their messages going on out here. There's only one word of truth, and that's the gospel by which we can be saved. And so he says, uh, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel. We don't have to wonder what it is. The gospel, meaning the good news of your salvation. So uh, the emphasis here uh, is this relates to both Jew and Gentile. The unfolding of God's plan of salvation, it includes the Gentiles as well as the Jews. In whom also you, in whom... Uh, also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Um, again, that word also ties both together. It ties verse 12 and verse 13 together. They both experience the same salvation, both Jew and Gentile. And uh, they both believed. Uh, this is the emphasis. Uh, having believed, you were sealed. Uh, you know, the moment you believe, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, it's, uh, by the way, the only condition uh, necessary to have salvation, to have the Holy Spirit and his sealing, is to believe. Uh, having believed, you were sealed. Uh, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit does a lot of ministries, uh, including convicting, regenerating, teaching, indwelling, baptizing, filling, uh, and so forth. But the emphasis here is on his sealing ministry. Uh, when you believed, you're sealed. You say, well, I, I, when did I get sealed? Well, the moment you believed. happened simultaneously. You believed, you're sealed with, with the Holy Spirit. And what is the idea of sealing, do you suppose? If you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, what, what's, what's that idea? You're, you're, you're kept. Yep. You're kept. Kept is good. Kept is good. Uh, what other word might we use there? Yes, Michelle? Permanently bonded. Yes, uh, there's a permanence involved here. That's right. 
what are all these concepts that we're talking about? What do we commonly relate them to? Security. Security, right? Security. Uh, sealed. In these days, if, if a document was sealed by a Roman authority, uh, it meant security. And, and you could be sh- assured of what, what was in that message or whatever. It also meant ownership. Uh, so the idea of security and ownership uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that'd be a good descriptive word here that would fit in with the security, for sure. Years, years ago, people used the illustration of people that canned, canned fruits and, and vegetables and things, and they had to seal them in that jar. You know, sure. I don't know how they do it, but Which I Which would make it, well, I don't either, but secure, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That would that would fit. Okay, basic idea is security, security, and uh, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, notice what is the the sealer here? What is it? It's the Holy Spirit Himself. It's the Holy Spirit Himself uh, who is the the seal. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? The Holy Spirit of promise. Yes, that's right. And and where does the promise originate? The Holy Spirit of promise. Well, where do we find the promise of the coming Holy Spirit? In conjunction with the new covenant. Where do we find that? Well, Old Testament, right? Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah, new, new covenant. But especially in relationship with the Spirit in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 39, real emphasis on uh, the Holy Spirit in connection with the the new covenant, which is what Christ's shed blood made possible as we are now under the new covenant. So uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, promised in conjunction with the new covenant, as we see in the Old Testament. Uh, However, some believe uh, it could refer to uh, the Holy Spirit of promise in relationship to what's promised forward, what's promised to come yet, and that's the reason some think this is because this is where he goes in verse 14. Could referring to the, the Holy Spirit of promise in relationship to what's been promised in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's true. Or could refer to the Holy Spirit of promise in relationship to uh, what's, what's uh, forward, what's yet to come. Uh, and that's where he goes here in verse 14. All right. Any other thoughts there? Okay, one more verse. Who wants to read verse 14? Yeah? Yeah. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? Okay, thank you. So again, speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the the guarantee? Uh, The guarantee is is the idea of a down payment or an earnest pledge. Down payment or an earnest pledge uh, of more to come. And uh, so who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Uh, Again, uh, we see this whole issue of inheritance. Before I get to that, though, uh, it is interesting that this word, uh, translated guarantee here, came to be used of an engagement ring, uh, an earnest pledge. 
You know, I, I, an engagement ring is, a, is an earnest pledge, you know, uh, that there's, a, there's more to come. And so uh, that's an interesting uh, emphasis there. Uh, we have the seal, uh, which relates to uh, our security, right? We saw that in verse uh, 13, uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But he's also the guarantee uh, of our inheritance, uh, what is yet to come. And there's more yet to come. There's a pledge of more to come. And uh, that's where he goes here. Uh, the guarantee of our inheritance. What, what is our inheritance, by the way? Do you have any idea? Well, it just happens to be all things. Uh, I think it's referring to what we're going to have in eternity. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, all, all that belongs to Christ, uh, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And, and in him we've been given everything. What, what an inheritance this is. You get a bigger inheritance than that, everything. I mean, you're going to have a stock in everything here. Uh, you've got a portion in everything for all eternity. I, I don't, God couldn't have given us more. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like the, the down payment the earnest pledge that you have a stake in, in this glorious inheritance. And uh, notice it's uh, in place until this, this, this spirit's sealing and this uh, spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. When is that redemption going to take place? Well, there's really two aspects of, of redemption, Right. Uh, we've talked about redemption in relationship to uh, uh, forgiveness of sins. We saw that in verse 7. But there's another phase uh, when we will be freed from sin. I mean, positionally, we've been freed from the, the, the power of sin, the penalty of sin. That's where we are. But there's still, we're still kind of being tied to sin a little bit here in this life, right? In terms of what? Yeah. And we might call it the presence of sin, right? And we all know the presence of sin in our own lives, and we wrestle with it. Uh, but one, that's going to be the, the final step. Uh, that's the final completion of the redemptive program. Uh, when, and, and we're sealed until that time, which is a glorious thing because it can be really discouraging otherwise because when we sin, we'd be like, oh man, I'm really, I'm really down in the mouth now. But the Holy Spirit continues to be the seal, continues to be the guarantee. If you're a true believer, you'll never get beyond the reaches of that. Uh, and it's, it's in place until the redemption of the, of the purchased possession, until the, the final freeing, uh, the complete release from even the very presence of sin, uh, which will take place in glory one day. And so, uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession, and then he breaks out to the glory uh, to the praise of his glory. So three times we have the doxology. Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. Okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts here? Before I wrap up. Yes, Vince? Yeah, I was thinking quite about the, uh, the inheritance and the redemption of the purchased possession. And now you mentioned, you know, it's mentioned earlier that we are being redeemed. So I thought, you know, like you go to the store and buy something... And then you say, can you hold it for me until I come back and go? <laughs> you know, we already been paid for it. Uh, we already have a new owner. Yep. And he's just going to come back and get us later. That's and right. That, and, that then, and then we'll enter into the full experience of, of that redemption. redemption. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, and then, boy, that, that, you know, we're really looking forward to that. 
you know, we see other places uh, that have that same emphasis, like Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by, where you are, by which you are sealed until the day of redemption. Uh, so we see that, that same emphasis, like, uh, well, what, what do you mean? I've already been redeemed. Well, yeah, we have. And we enter into the good of that in terms of the forgiveness of sin, in terms of our, the penalties taken care of, in terms of our, our, our position in Christ. But in terms of the full experience as far as being freed from the very presence of sin, that stage of the redemptive plan of God is yet to be completed and, and will be. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's our guarantee until we get to that point. All right. Uh, anything else? Let me wrap up here then. Uh, just a reminder, uh, verses 3 through 14 are, is an outline of God's master plan of salvation. It's one grand long sentence, uh, and the subject is God's master plan of salvation. And really, he begins in the right place there, which that's a dumb thing to say. Of course, he begins in the right place under inspiration. But uh, verse 3, where he talks about that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then I think he, be, he, un, he unpacks that. What are all these spiritual blessings? That kind of came up last week. Well, what are these spiritual blessings? Well, let's look at them. Verse 4, chosen. Verse 5, predestined. Verse 5, adopted. Verse 6, accepted. Verse 7, redeemed. Verse 7, forgiven. Verses 8 and 9, enlightened. Verse 11, obtained or, or made an inheritance, either way, or whichever. Verse 13, sealed. And verse 14, guaranteed or assured. These are the spiritual blessings that we all as believers enjoy in Jesus Christ. And we've all been blessed with these things. You say, well, one of these doesn't apply to me. I've been chosen, but I'm not accepted. Oh, yeah, no, no. All of these things. Uh, you can't say, well, I'm redeemed, but I'm not forgiven. No, no, you, you, you have all of it. Uh, you are enlightened. You have the Holy Spirit. Uh, God wants you to understand this so you can praise him and thank him for what he has done. There's a reason there's three doxologies in here. Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. It's like this is praiseworthy. We should praise God for our great salvation. Although I didn't see the whole of the Grand Canyon, you know, there was a lot of awe when I went to see the Grand Canyon. It was like, whoa, don't fall in there. (laughs) It was awesome. I still remember. It's been 25 years ago. It's still awesome to me. Our salvation is like that. It should fill us with awe. We never get our hands fully around this. It's too grand and too great for us. But it should cause us to say, praise the Lord to the praise of the glory of his grace for the salvation that we have. All right. If there's nothing else, let's go ahead and share some prayer requests. Uh, Prayer sheets, do you need a prayer sheet? Or do you all have a prayer sheet? Okay.